Welcome to another episode of the Coal Region Campfire, episode 31, 32, somewhere around there. We have a fun episode in store today with Meredith Averill, a Hollywood uh, big shot. Um, you probably have seen all our shows, uh, The Good Wife. Um, let, me, let me do here. I just want to make sure that I get all her shows here. Um, but she is currently working on a Netflix show. Not only is she working, she's show running, uh, which is a kind of, of a big deal. Um, but she is definitely representing the coal region uh, in a special way. And maybe one day we will see more of the coal region on the big screen. Uh, she was, uh, she did sell, as you'll hear in the uh, podcast, a, a, a horror series on. Centralia, um, so definitely has the coal region on her mind. She has other uh, ideas, but uh, let's see here. She worked on The Good Wife, Life on Mars, Samurai Girl, Happy Town, uh, Starcross, Jane the Virgin, and uh, Pure Genius. Um, and she's currently show running and executive producing uh, a horror series for Netflix called The Hunting of Hill House. Um, two-time Golden Globe nominee and a three-time nominee of the Writers Guild of America. And if you don't know much about film and television, that is a huge deal. And uh, she has her own Wikipedia page, which is even a bigger deal in my world. Um, maybe one day I will get my own Wikipedia page. But before we get to Meredith, um, quick sponsor from our, or quick word from our sponsor, Darren J. March. He is a certified financial planner with Raymond James. Darren is a Potsdam native and has been advising clients for more than 17 years in Northeastern PA. He specializes in retirement planning and offers an independent, unbiased approach to investing. Raymond James does not offer its own investment products. This allows Darren to be able to structure a plan to fit your needs, not the needs of the firm. So if you have a 401k or retirement plan from a former job, or if your advisor just doesn't keep in touch, give him a call for free, no obligation review, 570-640-8010. Darren.March at RaymondJames.com. Raymond James Financial Services member FINRA SIPIC Investment Advisory Services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors, Inc. So on to Meredith. So I guess my first question is, when did you decide you wanted to work in TV growing up here in Pottsville? Was there was there a moment where you're like, hmm, I wonder how that, how that would go and then kind of just dive into it? Yeah. Well, I always knew that I wanted to write. Um, I was always writing, even from a young age, but I didn't know, I think, what I wanted to write. And I didn't really know, growing up in Pottsville, I didn't even realize that there was such a thing as a TV writer. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds weird, I but like I don't thing. think it occurred. Yeah, I don't think it even occurred to me that there was someone who writes those episodes, or even that there was someone who writes movies. Like, it just didn't kind of occur to me. Um, and I was, you know, heavily involved in like the school newspaper. And so that really helped, you know, cement for me that writing at least was something that I really love to do. And I had some great teachers at Pottsville High who were just really complimentary and instrumental in me in, and encouraging in me trying to continue writing in some form. Um, and I knew I really liked movies. I liked watching movies. I liked writing about movies. So my senior year, I started to think about, well, maybe I could just be a journalist and write about movies. Maybe that, like, I knew that was a thing. I got, right. like, Entertainment Weekly in the mail. So that, to me, felt like a real tangible thing. 
Um, so when I started to look at colleges, uh, I really loved visiting New York City, and so I kind of focused my search there. And um, NYU had a program called Cinema Studies, um, which was in their Tisch School of the Arts department that, that really just, you know, is exactly what it sounds like, where you kind of study movies and the history of movies and kind of break down movies. And I thought that would be that would be right up my alley. And then I got there and it was absolutely not. <laughs> it I kind of hated it. It sort of like just was about like picking apart movies to a point, at least for them. me, that like where, where they yeah, they like stopped becoming movies. Like I remember like we were talking about um, Little Shop of Horrors once, which was like a movie that I watched with my dad when I was a kid. And the teacher was trying to say how really the plant was just like a giant vagina. And at the end of the movie, when the plant busts out of the pot, it's just, that's just like symbolizes penetration. And I was like, oh God, like, this is a movie that I cherish. In your own writing, did you ever see anybody kind of analyze, because you were on Jane the Virgin, The Good Wife. Yeah. I mean, did you ever read reviews of, of them making this analogy, like something like that, like something being a vagina? And be like, no, that's not exactly what we were going for. But that's weird that you thought that. Not, not our show, not those shows in particular. No, I mean there certainly are times that yeah, I'll read a review of something I've worked on, and maybe they pick up on something that we weren't necessarily intending. But sometimes that's great because everybody gets to have their own experience, you know, while they're watching something. And if you see something that that wasn't necessarily intended that you, that, you know, that you experienced that's everyone's entitled to their own, you know, reading of any piece of art. So it's not for me to say whether that's right or wrong. I think it was just my own reaction to hearing that was sort of like, okay, this is like a childhood, like a movie that I watched as a child that like that, that, that particular professor had that reading on. But for me, I was like, I don't know. It do, like breaking down movies sometimes to a place where they're not, yeah. where they're not movies anymore is like not it just didn't interest me as much and I, I found that I was way more interested in like let's critique the actual story as it was told right. and like the you know things I would have changed and so I started to realize well that that's actually a totally different thing than writing a review that's actually writing the movie itself and I had taken an elective course in one of the other departments uh, the department of dramatic writing um, that was a TV writing course and in that course, you had to pick any show that was currently on air and uh, write what they call a spec episode of it, which uh-huh. is basically just you know, you know write your own version of, of that that you you could see the, those characters, um, those a story that you would tell with those characters. And I at the uh, chose Sex in the City, which was oh. a you know really popular show sure. at the time. And uh, I wrote a spec episode of Sex and the City, which I'm sure, by the way, is awful if I were to go back and read it right now. But I loved the process of doing it. And my teacher at the time was kind of like, I think this is what you really want to be doing. He, you know, kind of challenged me and said, I, I know you're not happy in the other department. You should consider transferring over here. So after my first year at NYU, that's what I did. And um, I became a dramatic writing major my sophomore year. And from then it was just clear to me that that, that, that was, I, I ended up in the right place. Um, but I still wasn't really watching much television. Um, I was kind of more focused on screenwriting. Um, and what I started to learn, cause they would have screenwriters come and talk to our class, working screenwriters. And 
I started to kind of learn that but the world of film is much more a director's medium than it is for writers. Like yeah. when you think about some of, some of your favorite movies, you probably are remembering like the directors that made them. And rarely do you know, think about the writers. And that's kind of a bummer for a writer. I mean, a lot of the times, you know, some of the, the bigger names of writers, like you might remember, but a lot of the time when um, the writer turns in a screenplay, you know, it's kind of taken from them and like, it'll get rewritten like 10 different times by 10 different people. And then at the end of the day, somebody's name is slapped on it, but it might not be yours. And it's a very different process that, that definitely makes the director kind of a little bit more important and a little bit more key. And, you know, hearing that it's, it definitely made me feel like the, you know, the path of becoming a screenwriter was definitely going to be a tough one. I was, up for it but it was a little discouraging to hear that and um at the same time I started watching a lot more tv than I had ever watched I think like this is like around the time when Netflix uh when it was like the mail-in Netflix right, which right, is so right. funny like, that to remember that that how, was how Netflix started but tv suddenly became so much more accessible you know tv on dvd and you could just like you know inhale seasons of shows and I started watching um, shows I had never watched before like like the West Wing and Twin Peaks um, and Alias and just all of these shows that I sort of had missed out on and I just really loved the way that you know you could have this continuing story that went on for seasons and hours and hours and hours and these characters that you got to watch change and um, I just thought it was just so fun to watch and the idea that there was a whole room of people that were coming up with these stories week after week was like a new idea to me and um that's kind of when I decided my it was about my senior year I was just about to graduate uh from NYU when I kind of transitioned and decided that I wanted to be focused more on tv than film and and you got your you, you got your break as you were an assistant first correct Yes. Yeah. So I, I had done a bunch of like unpaid internships all throughout college, just kind of bopping around to different companies and different departments to see what I might like. You know, I was like, I worked in like the marketing department at a film production company and I worked in development and um, I had done an internship my senior year at MTV um, in their series development uh, department. This is when they had, now they don't really have as that many um, series on the air, scripted series. Um, but I, I did an internship there my senior year and sort of lucked out right when I was graduating. Um, an assistant was leaving. So a spot opened up and I knew the executive and uh, interviewed with her and was able to kind of just slide right into an assistant job right out of college. And and it was great. It was, you know, it was like all the stuff that assistant jobs are. It was getting coffee and picking up lunches and answering phones and scheduling meetings. But, you know, in between all of that stuff, you're really, you're really learning a lot about sure. how the, in the industry works. And they all knew in the department that I wanted to be a writer. So if there was ever anything that they felt was going to be helpful for me, they kind of always brought me in on things and talked to me about why things were happening certain ways. And that just was really, really helpful. I've just been really lucky to work for a lot of people who 
in general, just like want to help. And I, yeah. that's been really, really nice. Like everyone's been really, um, been really great in that way. And I feel like cause no one in this industry, I feel like gets anywhere without a little bit of help sure. from people and, and, and being able to meet people who have just been, um, have just been really open in that way has been, has been so great. Now, what was your first, what show was your first like official writing uh, job? Um, so after I moved out here, I had a few other like random assistant jobs and I started working for these, um, guys who had created a show called October road. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, this, this was about, this was about 11 years ago. That was ABC, uh, right? I was, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was on ABC and it was the second season, um, guys named Josh Applebaum and Andre Nemec. And I was working for them for about a year. And during that year, they knew I wanted to be a writer, and they said, "Oh, if you ever have a you know a script that you want us to read and give you feedback on, you know, feel free to give it to us." And I and I literally had a script right there, ready and waiting. <laughs> I was like, "Of course." It, you, now, was there a sense of right nervousness? Handing it? I mean, because they're they're two oh, you know, big time yeah. guys. Were you like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" Like, I hope they like it. Yeah. I mean, I hope they don't hate it. Yes. Yeah, I was terrified uh, for sure. Um, but it's sort of like a, this, you have to kind of take those opportunities when sure, they come absolutely. because they don't come that, you don't come that often. So it was sort of a test and like, well, if they hate it, then they hate it. Then at least I know they'll give me notes and I'll know what to change. Um, and so I gave it to them and they read it. They liked it. They get, they did give me notes, which, you know, I addressed and, and then, um, a few months later, October got canceled. And they were hired to run a show for ABC Family, uh, a show called Samurai Girl, which was like basically alias, but with like for like a younger okay. kind of audience. Um, and I had heard that they were being brought on to that show. And uh, so I went into their office one day and they tell the story very differently than I do. They make me look horrible in this story. I, well, now's your the chance to set I remember the record straight. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I walked into Andre's office and I was like sweaty palms could barely look him in the eye and I was like I hear you guys are staffing up for Samurai Girl and I just really love that script and uh, I, I just really feel like I could be so good writing for it and I would really love to be considered for the job and he kind of looked at me and he shook his head and he was like yeah you know we'll we'll talk about it and we'll let you know and I said thank you and I left and I went back to my assistant desk and I was like well that's that's it I'm going to be fired like I I I thought that there was no way that it was going to happen for me. And then the next morning, um, uh, one of our, one of our bosses came in and said, well, I guess we have to start looking for your replacement. I hear you're going to start writing. Wow. That's that's gotta be a great feeling. Yeah. It was the greatest feeling ever. But again, it was like knowing when, when to take your opportunities is something I've really tried to look back at and learn. Like if I hadn't gone into that office and asked him for that opportunity, you know, would they have thought to put me up for it? And I, I, I would, I'll never know. But, um, but yeah, the way Andre loves to tell that story is he claims that I barged into his office and demanded that he give me the job or I was going to quit, which is not at all my personality. <laughs> but I love that he remembers it that way. Um, and those guys have remained, they're like mentors of mine. And I, they ended up hiring me on their next three shows which are all wonderful shows and I remain close to them to this day yeah I think that's important you know just asking for the job my cousin Ronnie he works at the post office and he's always amazed he said by the people who interview and never say they want the job and yeah you know to just go in there and say I want this job you you have to send that 
you know, I guess put it out there in the universe and obviously communicate to the person hiring that you'd, you'd want it. Otherwise, they don't know. You know what I mean? And why would yeah, they? Yeah, totally. Like people want to work, want to, want to hire people who are like enthusiastic about the job and put themselves out there. And so, yeah, I completely agree that you have to, you have to actually say the words that you want the job. Now you've worked a lot in, in, in science fiction. Was that on purpose or is that something you kind of, you fell into and then you kind of honed your skills there? It's kind of on purpose. I have really found that that's where the shows that I've been, I've really found a groove in and have enjoyed writing and think that I am best at writing have been more in the kind of genre space. Um, you know, I did the show with Josh and Andre called Life on Mars mm-hmm. for ABC, which was kind of like a time travel cop. Yeah, I remember that one. Like mm-hmm. a cop and, yeah, and I, I really loved that. And um, and then I created the show for the CW called Starcross um, that, was, that was a sci-fi show. Um, this past year, uh, I've been co-running this um, horror show for Netflix called The Haunting of Hill House that's obviously a horror show and I'm about to start uh, a new job running another horror show for Netflix because apparently that's what I do now is just run <laughs> horror shows for Netflix uh, called Lock and Key that's based on a comic book series um, and I, I I mean I'm drawn more to like what I watch in my my own life is sort of darker genres sure. you know more super like supernatural based stuff I just I just seem to be more drawn to that. And I mean, I loved writing on the good wife and Jane, the Virgin, um, that those were really fun too, in totally different ways. It's just flexing different muscles. I think just where I'm most comfortable is, is in that world. And also there's not that many female voices that are writing for horror and for sci-fi. So, you know, seeing a dearth in that and really wanting to be part of, part of that correction where there are more, female voices I think that that are writing in those worlds I think is, is really important to me too now for for like a listener you know listening at home here who's not necessarily familiar with with show business I mean as a showrunner you're doing everything right I mean you're right you kind of you're literally running yes. the show I mean what's what's kind of the biggest challenge in doing that oh yes you're doing everything it's you're the boss of like 200 people sometimes spread out all across the country. When I was doing Starcrossed, our writer's room was here in LA, but we were shooting in New Orleans. Um, so it's, you know, it's impossible to be in two places at once. So obviously, so a big part of the job is really learning how to delegate. That's definitely the most important part of it because I think where shows have problems are when one person tries to do everything. And it's hard because you want to try to do everything because you care about the show. And like, I am definitely a control freak and sometimes micromanage. And so I think one of the most important things that I've had to learn to do is to empower people that I work with and learn to just delegate certain things, you know, that I don't have to be in every single meeting. Like I can trust that someone else is going to be able to make the decision whether a car needs to be green or red or whether someone should be wearing a purple sweater or, you know, I, right. I don't have to, I don't have to make every single decision, but at the end of the day, it all does kind of fall, fall on me. But, um, but that's why I think, it, you know, learning to hire the people that you feel like you can trust and, 
and can take care and take the burden off off of me is is really hugely helpful. I mean, on my first show, I feel like I really tried. I tried to be everywhere and do everything, and that will kill a person. <laughs> like it's just too it's too much stuff if you're spread too thin because ultimately you're not at your best if you're trying to be everywhere. So with the other shows that I that I've run and certainly like right now we're just, I'm just gearing up. I'm meeting with writers for, for this new show that I'm going to be running. And, um, I'm really like specifically looking for people that I feel like I can trust to kind of take that burden off a little bit. And, um, so that I'm not having to do everything at once so that we're going to be shooting in Toronto. And so it's like, so I don't have to be in, so I don't have to be in Toronto, you know, for the entirety of shooting. I want to be able to send, writers out there to produce their own episodes partly because it's really good experience for them but also selfishly i don't necessarily want to be in toronto for the entire uh winter (laughs) um so it's you know it's it's, that's definitely a big part of it do you ever pinch yourself i mean just like wow i mean you're you're now i mean you're you, you got your dream of being you know a hollywood writer i mean that first day when you walked into the writer's room what was the feeling like Oh, it's crazy. I I know that I, I'm pretty sure I cried. <laughs> well, I actually know I cried because there was an earthquake that day. <laughs> oh, okay. The first, it was my very first earthquake in LA happened on like my first day of the writer's room uh, uh, at Life on Mars. And it was like terrifying. It was just like all too much. There was just like one day of too many, too many firsts. It was like overwhelming. Um, but but yeah, I I am I am still super wide eyed every time I walk onto a set. I still can't believe that that I get that I get to do this. And I was running Starcrossed when I was thirty years old. Like that's that's insane. very insane. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's some might say it's too young. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was it was definitely young. But you know, like I was lucky enough to have a lot of people around me to to lean on for sure. But but yeah, I mean, it's it's really crazy that uh, my job is to sit in a room all day with a group of people and argue about the like motivations of made up characters. Like that, that is my day is pretty insane. And so, I mean, I feel really, really lucky that 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 is my job. But yeah, it's definitely it's a strange job to be to have to explain to relatives. Let's just say. Yeah, I, I mean, I work. <laughs> I'm an editor, but I, I work in reality. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you know, I always tell people like, especially you see younger people in the industry. Like when we get notes or when you're working with a producer, they tend to take it personal. And I took it personal when I first started. And you realize like it's all for the story, whatever it is, whether it's scripted or not scripted, like. Everybody who works in TV, I, I, and maybe I'm wrong, I feel like they really want to be there and they really want to put the best product. Like, you really don't see, I, I mean, too many people like half assing it because it's just such a cool mm-hmm. job to have. So it is weird, like, you know, when you say like arguing, like, it's not an attack on you as, as like maybe a younger person might take it. It's, it's literally because people want to get the absolute best story they can out there. And, it's it's kind of incredible like when you're arguing over like even the smallest thing like should this go here this shot maybe like literally three frames longer like the average yeah. viewer doesn't see that but when when you're when you're in the industry you you, you take notice of, of things probably too much where it drives you a little bit insane yeah totally but i also and i also think like this 
industry weeds out the people who do half-ass it because oh, there's yeah, you just can't. so, you know, you really kind of can't. And there's so many people waiting at the door that are happy to do what you're complaining or too lazy to do. You're complaining about or too lazy to do. So it's, it's, it, 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 it weeds out the week in, in a way that I think Absolutely. is good. <laughs> now, what? maybe you can't uh, speak on it, but any progress on the Centralia uh, show? Oh, gosh, I wish. I really, really wish. That one was such a heartbreaker. Uh, you know, I still, I feel like it can, I mean, there, I, there's no official progress, there's, but I still want to revisit it at some point in some form. Um, I, you know, I had sold, I sold that pitch to NBC. Um, it's probably about, I want to say maybe three years ago, four years uh-huh. ago, somewhere around there. Um, and I wrote a pilot for them and it was really well received there, but it's funny because stranger things came out about six months later after NBC passed on Centralia. It's kind of the same genre yeah it's the same genre but it's also like i think what's when stranger things exploded it it showed networks that there is a real audience for horror right like a very loud audience for horror in a way that i think that no one was expecting and at the time there just wasn't as much horror on tv and now i think because stranger things has been such a huge hit you see a lot more horror on tv in a, in a way that's in, in a great way and so i do wonder you know if if only stranger things had come out the summer before if nbc would have been more open right. to, to doing a show like centralia because it you know it wasn't it didn't fit in exactly with what they sort of were doing and and you know i was really really proud of it and i just like i've always been obsessed with the story of of that town Absolutely. and specific specifically like the people who chose to stay and, and some of whom are still there today. I just think it's such a fascinating story and history. And, you know, I, I know there have been like recent documentaries made about it. Yeah. Are, yeah. I'm actually going to have him are, on in a couple of weeks, but yeah, it was, oh, that's it was awesome. a great documentary. Now were, were, were you planning on shooting it in Centralia if it got picked up or was that one of those things where it'd be like a, a Hollywood set? Probably not. Yeah, it would probably, you know, the reality of it is that you really, you end up kind of shooting wherever you can get a, the best tax break because right. these productions are so expensive. So um, I would have pushed for them to shoot, you know, some, some what they would call B-roll, like um, some shots around Centralia. So we can, like, certainly I would want, like, the real graffiti highway to right. be part of it rather than, like, rather than try to recreate <laughs> graffiti highway yeah. on some like studio lot like i would be like that's silly just give me a camera and i'll go home and shoot it um but it would be it would have been great to be able to get some actual shots of actual centralia in there um but to shoot the entire show there we wouldn't have been able to do most likely um just because of the tax incentive that we would have sure. probably gotten elsewhere um but yeah, you know, it's funny, like no matter what I do, like however many shows that I'll, that I run since then or whatever, my dad will, every time I talk to him, he's like, so uh, any uh, chance for Centralia to come back? Like I don't, I could win an Emmy and he would still be like, so Centralia, are we, we still doing that? Um, but it's definitely something I would love to return to in some way. And um, I know the producers I worked on with it are still like really, you know, feel passionate about it too. So I, I, I don't think that one is, 
is is dead and buried. I would love to be able to find a, a way to do that again. It maybe it maybe as a movie or something and like right. something like that would be great. Now, yeah. as uh, you know, people back here in the coal region in in your in the Good Wife or whatever shows you've worked on. Have you ever like pulled a specific story for something that that happened to you here back home in Pottsville that that made the the final script? That's a really good question. I am sure I have pitched things that have from home or used that have any ended names up, or uh, any kind of anything like that. Um, I have definitely used names. With it, which is something that I have to be careful about because people can sure. sue. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I use I use names of my friends from home um, a lot. Uh, like in The Good Wife, I know that there were like there were judges that were named that named after my friends and certain characters. Oh, Usually, I'll do like a la- I'll do like a last name or something. Um, will be will will pop up here and there. Um, uh, and you know, when we were doing, there was one, something we were doing that was take that took place in Pennsylvania. Now I cannot think of what it was. And I insisted that Yingling be the beer of choice. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> Did you ever work in a, um, a rotary, uh, dynasty named, uh, Yinglings into your storylines? Yingling baseball? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. No, well, there you I go. Didn't. I'll give that to you free no, of charge. I should. Yeah, that's good. I like that. No, anytime I can, you can be specific. Like in my Centralia pilot, like there was all of the stuff from home was all over it. You know, where there's like a bar and someone orders a Chetty. Like, like anytime that you can, I want. I I love putting that specific stuff in right in the stuff that I'm in the stuff that I'm doing. And so the Centralia was a lot of fun to write because of that. Because I could have like. You know, I was like our world that we know and our language. So that was a lot of fun to write. <laughs> now, have you ever worked with any of your like childhood like heartthrobs, like uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Zach Morris, or something like that? Jonathan Taylor Thomas or Zach Morris? No, or, or anyone, they were like really... a heartthrob that you had. <laughs> Who's the guy from Blossom? Let's... Joey. Joey. <laughs> I like that you think that those were my heartthrobs. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, no. They were my heartthrobs, so uh, I figured it They were your heartthrobs. Did yeah. you have, like, the Teen Beat poster on your ceiling yeah, or something? Magazine. I feel like yeah. that's what Frosted I'm learning tip. about you right now. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, I was a really – I don't know. He wasn't, like, a heartthrob, but I was a really big fan of Josh Charles's, um, who I worked with on The Good Wife, who played Will. He was in uh, uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. Christina Applegate, right? Yes, he yes. was like her love interest in that, um, and he uh, he was on The Good Wife. And then when I so when I met him, I was super super starstruck because I loved that movie, and and he couldn't be a nicer guy. He was just awesome. Um, uh, I'm working. I just came off of the show The Haunting of Hill House, where I worked with uh, an actor named Henry Thomas, who's best known for being Elliot in E.T. Oh, get out. Um, yeah, one. yeah. So that's sort of wild. And he really, I mean, he's obviously much older now, but you look at him and you see, you can really see the like childlike, his chi- you know, childlike Elliot face. And it's, it's kind of amazing. Um, so yeah, those are pretty awesome. I'm on life on Mars. Uh, like I, that was my, the first time I got to go to set for my episode and we shot in New York and Harvey Keitel, 
was one of the stars of that show and like he like being on set like being yelled at him was like by being yelled by right. him at him him yelling at me was like the greatest job of all time like <laughs> like being yelled at by Harvey Keitel there's nothing better my most like surreal moment of all time was he had like some questions about some lines and so he wanted to meet in his trailer over lunchtime and so I went to his trailer and I'm sitting there with the script on my lap and he was eating lunch and he he had just gotten out of the hospital because he had had like he was like like some dehydration issues or whatever so he he was hooked up to an IV just like I guess getting fluids like while you know while we were on break uh-huh. and he had his shirt off he had his shirt off and he was hooked up to an IV and he was eating his lunch which was a bowl of mussels in a red with like in like a red sauce uh-huh. And so he's like, he's like eating these mussels with this red sauce and he wants, and we're and he was like, let's just read the lines. And so I'm like reading lines with Harvey Keitel while he's eating. <laughs> was like the sauce the like splattering sauce. on his like. Yeah. The sauce is like splattering on his chest because he has his shirt off because he's getting an IV for, with fluids. I was like, if this, I mean, that, that is, a, that was like my most surreal moment. Like. I, it'll never top that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty he was tough. Lo- tough. He, he, he was lovely, but it, that was a, that was definitely a strange, strange moment. <laughs> now, one one thing here, you know, you you have, you 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 have a cult following, like especially for like Jane the Virgin. That's a that's a pretty big like following. How mm-hmm. how does it feel to know the ending to these stories that people are just like dying to? I mean, you do you know the ending right when, when you start the season, or is that something you kind of figure out as you go, like? Once you map out the whole season, you have everything mapped out. Yeah, that's always the goal. When we would start the first, like on the first few weeks of every season of every show that I've worked on, you we kind of have what we call like boot camp a little bit, where you just kind of step back and look at the whole season and whether you have like we had we did twenty two episodes a year on The Good Wife, um, on Jane the Virgin, we also did twenty two. On some other shows I've worked on, we've done 13 or 10. So whatever it is, you kind of look at And when our writer's rooms are just like, the walls are just filled with whiteboards. Um, and you kind of just look at all the whiteboards and you say, okay, what do we know? What do we know we need for in episode one? Like, what are the things that we want to reveal? And if there are things throughout the season, like big twists and turns, like if we know a character is going to die or we mm-hmm. know a character is going to get sick or is going to fall in love or going to break up with someone. or So those big sort of big events, if we know we want those to happen in the season, we kind of say, okay, well, where's a good point in the season for that to happen? You know, is it midway through the season? Is it something we want in the second to last episode? And you kind of just fill in what we call them like tent poles throughout the season because it really it helps to show what you know emotionally if you're looking at a character's arc throughout the season emotionally what you want to build to you know when do we want the character to be at their lowest point of the season when do we want them to be at their highest point you know when do we want these big big turns to happen for them and so the first few weeks of any room it's really just looking like at the big picture of like what are these character journeys going to be for the season? What's the story we want to tell? You know, if there's like a theme to the season, you know, are we dealing with grief? Are we dealing with loss? Are we dealing with love? Like what is, like what are the, what's the actual story that we're kind of trying to build to? And then most of the time you will have a sense of what your dry, what your ending is going to be. 
Um, like I'm trying to think on The Good Wife, when I started, uh, I started season two. We knew we were building to this reveal for Alicia, uh, Juliana Margulies' character, that her best friend had slept with her husband, which was going to be this huge, like huge, right. you know, horrifying reveal to her. And so knowing that, when you plug that in on the board in like episode 22, you kind of stand back and say, okay, well, for that really to land and for her to be so devastated by that, that means we have to get her and her best friend, Kalinda, to be really close this season. Gotcha. Um, and so how, how, what are the stories we want to tell to bring them a lot closer so that when she feels that loss in episode 22, it really, really lands, you know, powerfully. Um, so those are my, my favorite part of the season are the first few weeks to be able to, you know, land on those things and look at, look at the season from kind of far away and say, you know, what are the big moves we want to make? And then once you have those plugged in, then you start breaking the very first episode. That's the term we use for it. It's called, uh, it's we break it, that we call it breaking the episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it's called that. <laughs> it's always been called that, but you break it. Then we start breaking episode one, episode two, and then you kind of allow for, you're a little flexible as you go through the episodes where if you find like, oh, you know, I know we said that this couple was going to break up in episode five, but we're kind of really enjoying them being together. So maybe we push that an episode or two and right. spend a little bit more time with them. So you kind of allow for some flexibility there and, you know, and allow for some discovery if someone like pitches something amazing that we hadn't thought of that kind of changes the trajectory we don't sit there and say, well, sorry, we can't do it because that's not what we said we were going to do back in the first week. Right. Um, you, kind of, you kind of allow for some discovery of some, you know, new exciting ideas. But, but that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of how, you know, I can't speak to, of course, how every show is sure. built. But uh, in the shows that I've worked on, that's kind of the way that we've always, we've always done it. Right. Now, what's, uh, last question here, what's, um, what's your dream project? Is there, is there something in the future that that kind of really interests you or is it kind of uh, every new project is, is, is the dream come true? Yeah. You know, I kind of go project by project. I mean, I think I would love to create my own show. Um, you know, that is sort of that, I mean, that was what sort of Centralia was uh, like a show that is 100% wholly, from my brain, um, right. I've really, really, I've really loved working on shows that um, that have been adapted from other source material. Like that is, it's, that is certainly a lot of fun too. But um, I think, you know, it would be, it would, I would love to be able to kind of create something that was, you know, one hundred percent wholly mine. Um, I would love to be able to revisit Centralia sometime. I mean, there are also just so many stories from just like. Like the Molly Maguire's sure. really interesting story to me. I'd love to do something with that. Um, any of like the John, John O'Hara's short stories uh-huh. or novels, I'd really, I'd love to adapt. And so, you know, I, I, I've been sort of jumping from show to show, so it's hard for me to have, like when I don't have downtime right. in between these projects to be able to focus on that. But, you know, once I have some downtime, those are definitely some dream projects I'd love to be able to focus on. That's great. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Meredith. We'll uh, of definitely be on the lookout. So Netflix, when, is it, when does it come out? So uh, the show I was working on this past year, The Haunting of Hill House, that will start streaming, uh, 
I think it's October 12th. Oh, good, just in time for so not, not, Halloween. Not for a while, yeah, a little before Halloween. And then the show that I'm about to start working on, Lock and Key, that won't be until Halloween 2019. So oh, okay. <laughs> not for not for a long time. I know these the streaming networks the uh, they you know the shows take a lot longer between the writing and the production. Well, it's worth stuff, it because so. the shows are so good on there. Yeah, so. yeah, they really are. That's why they take a lot longer. Um, great. Yes, but thank thank you so much for having me. It's so great that you that you do this. I I, I love this idea, and I'm well, going to keep listening. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll release this tomorrow, and I'll send you a link uh, before I release it. I, I just kind of it's unedited. I just do an intro at the top, and then I just I just mm-hmm. do everything we just talked cool. about. Awesome! I love right. that. Thanks, Meredith. Great. Thank you. Have a good night. Bye bye. Same to you. Bye. Thank you again for listening. We do have a couple episodes lined up already. I'm on the ball. So the next couple of weeks, hopefully you guys will enjoy them. we got a nice uh, slew of, uh, of characters. Um, and I will see you next week. Thank you.